On today's episode of the Fueled and Well podcast, we have our first guest interview. Our guest is Sabrina Menya, a food freedom and intuitive eating coach who helps chronic dieters heal their relationship with food, find peace in their bodies, and develop lasting health-promoting habits so that they can achieve true health without the obsession. In our conversation, we talk about how pervasive diet culture is and share from our own stories to shed light on the challenges of leaving diet culture behind. But don't worry, we leave you with some fantastic ways to work towards reconnecting with your body after years of riding the dieting roller coaster. I cannot wait for you to get to know Sabrina and hear this conversation, so let's get into it. Welcome, Sabrina, to the Fueled and Well podcast. I am so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled you were on my podcast, and I'm so excited to be a guest on yours. I know. I love this. It's just like a continuation of the conversation, basically, which is so fun and probably easier, too, if you're a listener. You don't have to listen to us to like get to know each other. We can just yes. dive straight in. So if you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and kind of why you landed in this space or how, a little bit of your story, I would love to hear that. Yeah. So I am a food freedom and intuitive eating coach, and I run a group coaching program called the Food Freedom Academy, where I help chronic dieters, women who have been on and off the Weight Watchers and the keto and the intermittent fasting for most of their life and who now find themselves obsessed with food. They think about it all day long. They feel anxiety. They feel guilt. They feel stress every time they go to eat. They don't like the way that they look. They feel they struggle with self-sabotage. And every time that they start a new habit, they just fall right back to the old patterns. And all they really want is to create a healthy life where they can eat without guilt. They can make choices that honor both their physical health and their emotional health. And so I help them heal their relationship with food and their bodies so that they can focus on living life fully and engaging in life and being present instead of living constantly at war with food. I love that. It's so important, right? Like we know, but I've seen it for so many clients, the quality of life and the free headspace that you get back when you finally tackle this stuff is it's like life changing. I don't even say yes. that because it's what we do every day. It's I truly believe that it's incredible. Yeah. And and that's what I always try to explain to people because I've been where my clients are. And so that's why it's so much more emotional for me when I get to talk to my clients after they've gone through the program and they've really broken free from what I call like this internal food prison is I've been there and I try to explain to people around me, they think it's just food. And yeah, you're just thinking about food a little bit more. And it's not just food. It's your entire life. Think of your brain capacity when 95% of it is taken up with anxiety about calories and about carbs and about what that number on the scale is going to look like tomorrow morning. It affects every area of your life. It affects your relationships. It affects your friendships. It affects your social life. It affects your, I was depressed at times. It affects your schoolwork and your career. It's not just, it's not just food. It's so much more than that. It really is. And I remember, I don't know, maybe we can talk about this too, but like the big turning point for me with it was 
I actually was about to go into my dietetic internship, which if you know anything about registered dietitians and like our track, it's like a really intensive year of clinical in-person. It's just, it's like how you finish your schooling, but you're paying to be there and you're also working and it's crazy. And I had met this guy who is now my husband, like right before that clinical year started. And I was finally starting to come to terms with maybe food is playing too much of a role. Maybe it's too distracting. And then I met him, decided to go into a long distance relationship and do this crazy school year. And I thought, I don't have time for all of this. Like one of these things is going to have to give. And it was the easiest choice ever at that point. Right. Yeah. I had already been kind of challenging my own food stuff. But in that moment, I was like, you know what? This just doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. And it was still very hard to overcome. But like the choice to do it was all right. That's what's got to go. The MyFitnessPal and the crazy exercise routine. It's it's not yeah. worth it anymore. But it's hard to get to that point, isn't it? Yeah. So for me, my rock bottom point was I've always wanted to travel. My entire life has always been like, I want to visit these cities. I want to go on amazing trips. And a couple of years ago, when I was like really deep, deep in my disordered eating, I was probably at my lowest point. I remember it was Christmas break and I was sitting in my cold basement. And I remember just thinking, what has my life come to? I've started all of this healthy eating, quote unquote, exercise to be healthy and to think that people would like me more if I'm this super skinny girl or whatever I thought at the time. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm the most depressed I've ever felt. And I have all of these aspirations for the rest of my life. And I had that summer coming up, I had no obligations to stay in the country. And so I was like, this would be perfect summer to do a trip that I've always wanted to do, which is to go live in Italy for a summer. And I was like, this is the perfect time. And yet the reason why I didn't, I was so terrified to do it was I'm going to get weight. I'm going to have to eat carbs, which I wasn't eating at the time. I'm not going to be able to track everything that I eat into my fitness pal because imagine you're at an Italian restaurant and you ask how many calories are in this piece of pizza. And that was terrifying to me. And I remember sitting there thinking there's something wrong because if the if this healthy quote unquote lifestyle that you're living is stopping you from going on these experiences that are going to make your life full and make bring you joy something has to give. And so I did the scariest thing, which was I'm going to I'm going to book this. And it was like in that moment, Tony Robbins says, never leave the site of a, a decision without taking action. And I remember mm -hmm. I booked my trip and I said, you're going to be scared for the next couple of months leading up to this trip. And you're going to probably be scared for the first couple of weeks while you're there. And this is what you need because you are not OK. And when I first got there, I was living in this Italian family's house and the nana looked at me and goes, oh, my God, you're so skinny. We need to get you some food. And I remember I remember thinking this is the worst decision I've ever made. I want to go home. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, I realized, oh, well, I feel good when I eat carbs. I feel better. 
I feel more energized. I was starting to, after a few weeks, I wasn't looking over my Italian mom's shoulder to see how many tablespoons of olive oil she was putting in our recipes. But that was kind that was really my realization of if I have all of these things that I want to do with my life, I can't, I literally cannot do that if I don't fix this. Yeah. I mean, one, I'm so glad that you took action when you heard that decision forming so that you could go to Italy because, my goodness, how long did you stay? So I ended up being there for the whole summer. So I was there from May to August. And I was I was talking to one of my friends yesterday and we were talking about tattoos and he was asking me, like, would you ever get a tattoo? And I always said, if I ever got a tattoo, it would be for something that's really meaningful to me. And right now, when I look back on the most life-changing experiences, it would be that summer. Because even though I came back and I still like, of course, it wasn't this overnight thing. And we talked about this before, where when you go on an intuitive eating journey, it doesn't happen overnight. But it's the thing that made me start seeing a different way of living. Because in Europe, in other countries, they don't put the calories on the menus. They don't talk about going on diets. They don't talk about, oh, my God, I had a gelato tonight. I got to work out for t- tomorrow morning to burn mm-hmm. it off. Diet culture, even though it might still be present, is a lot less loud when you go somewhere else and you take yourself out of that and realize there's a different reality. Yeah, and I think I think it's that piece where there's an opportunity at some point, right, to take a step back and look at what your reality has become, right? Whether that's going into a different culture or moving into a different phase of life. A lot of times I have clients who are like, I've been trying to get pregnant for so long and I can't do it and I still don't have a period. And like, I just realized if I want this next chapter, I have to do something differently, right? It's we get those opportunities at some point in our journey with food and our bodies to step back and say, hey, is this is this hindering me or is this propelling me forward? And sometimes we'll ignore those signs for a while, but eventually one hits, right? Like me meeting my husband and being like, wow, I need to make sure that I can maintain this long distance relationship and not flunk school. So I'm going to have to stop pre-cooking everything I eat and spending three and a half hours in the gym. Yours was like, if I don't go to Italy, what would that say about me and my ability to have these really cool life experiences? So it does. It it eventually helps you get to a point where it's like, okay, this isn't going to be easy. It's not going to change overnight, but I am going to do it. I am going to put my yeah. sights on it, right? And it's not going to feel good. Like that That was making that decision was so uncomfortable for me. And I always tell my clients, like, you do not need to wait until you hit your own rock bottom to make a decision to change. And I hope that you don't wait until you hit your rock bottom because that's the worst part. That's the worst place to make change from. It is. It's the most uncomfortable place and the place where you have the smallest amount of resources and bandwidth and you can make change from there. But I totally agree. That's why a lot of what I do, even in my content and in my podcast episodes, is just like gently challenging these disordered ideas so that hopefully other people who follow us, right, don't have to wait till that rock bottom moment. That they can get out of it a little bit faster or with a little bit less discomfort if possible, right? Yeah. And two things, I don't know if you hear this, but two things that I hear the most from the women who come to me, their feared rock bottoms that are imminent really is number one, divorce like relationship issues because when you're struggling with this 
you're not the only one who's struggling. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your intimacy. It's affecting everything about the people around you. And then the second one that I see is my kids. I'm scared my kids are going to develop an eating disorder. I'm scared my kids are going to grow up with the same issues that I have. And those are two very common feared rock bottoms that I hear that are a lot worse than me thinking I'm not going to be able to travel. And it's really important to think about, will this ever actually get better if I don't? Absolutely. And I think both of our examples of our quote unquote rock bottoms, right, are a little bit lighter, a little bit like easier to reckon with if we hadn't gone through with it because we were younger when we went through this. When we're looking at clients who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s or beyond, it is like it's big life stuff that this is uprooting or getting in the way of or derailing for them. And it's if you can work on it before you get to that point. I mean, why wouldn't you? I know why, it's scary, why would you right? Wait? But yeah. Yes. It's terrifying, but also like the other consequences are just so much bigger. So yeah, it's definitely tough. What do you think? I know you said you had an interesting background with how your disordered eating kind of developed. What mm-hmm. do you think spurred it early on for you? Maybe things that listeners can be considering. Have I already experienced this? Am I buying into this thought process? What were some Yeah. Big- So it's so funny, as I was going through it, I had a very big lack of awareness and consciousness of what was going on. And it's only when I started my business and I started being open about it because I was never really open about it. My parents didn't know, my family didn't know, my friends didn't know until I started being on podcasts and I started helping this publicly. And people were like, wow, it was looking back on my history and my story that I started to connect the dots. And it really stemmed from a couple of things. But I grew up as a synchronized swimmer, which is a sport that is very, very um, hyper focused on what your body looks like. There's a lot of eating disorders that go around because it's like a breeding ground for diet culture, really, because you're celebrated if you lose weight, you're celebrated if you're under eating, you're punished by telling yourself that you shouldn't eat dessert tonight or you should over exercise. And so as I was growing up, like those were my formative years. I was doing it from eight to 16. That is where you're developing ideas about food and about what your body means and what your body is worth. And so I was conditioned to believe that I was worthy if my body was smaller, that I would make a certain team or I would succeed if my body was smaller. And so when I retired from the sport, I didn't know what to do with that information. I was so terrified to gain weight because in my mind, gaining weight was the worst thing in the world. And I also didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to exercise in a way that made me feel good because I had no structure anymore. And so I did what most people do when you have that fear of weight gain, which is you go online and you look at what you should start cutting back on and what you should do more of in terms of exercise. And so I was going to the gym two hours a day doing things I absolutely hated on way too little food. And so I was exhausted. And then I would cut back carbs to a point where (laughs) I still laugh at this because I can't believe no one was like, Sabrina, what are you doing? I used to cut sweet potato slices and put it in the toaster and put avocado and egg on top of it because I was so scared of eating bread. Zucchini noodles were my go-to when it came to pasta because I was so scared of eating carbs. 
And what I would do is I would eat super, super clean, clean, clean. Right. Air quotes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Monday to Friday. And then the second that Friday night hit, I would eat all of the food. A lot of the time it was also at the time I was in my college year. So it was coupled with alcohol because alcohol, what it would do is it would allow me to not feel that guilt in the moment until the next morning. And so it was really like Monday to Friday, I'm feeling super good about myself. And then I couldn't control myself on the weekend. And then the classic, you start again on Monday. So that lasted a couple of years where I was binge eating, I was terrified to eat sweets, but then I would overeat sweets, I was over exercising. And then I really think that my orthorexia got triggered by when I got a Fitbit. And then I could really control things. I could see how many calories I was burning. And then I could go on my fitness pal and see how many calories I was eating. And I started being really interested in health and nutrition. And I thought I was doing it from a place of I am biohacking myself. I'm becoming mm-hmm. the best human being that I possibly can. I started following like functional doctors and all of these people who were telling you, okay, we got to cut out dairy, got to go vegan, you got to cut out gluten. And it just, it, it was like a, it was like domino effect. You, one thing leads to another, leads to another until you get to a point where you're scared to eat anything. And I was like the quote unquote healthy friend, the fit friend that always ate the salad that people, I thought people praised me for that. And it became my identity, which is why it became so hard to break that identity. Like when it becomes part of who you are, whether you see yourself as an emotional eater, as a dieter, as someone who's always going to struggle with your relationship with food, or as someone who's that healthy friend, To change that identity is not just changing your behavior. It's like changing who you are, who you think that you are. Yeah. And how you see yourself and how you relate to yourself and how you fit into your social circles or your family, right? It is so much more interwoven than, oh, I'm going to stop tracking my calories or I'm going to try to eat more. Everybody says when they find out that you're struggling with food, well, just eat a burger, eat something, eat more, right? Like people who haven't dealt with it think it's so simple when in reality it is, in my opinion, one of the most complex kind of identity crises that I see people go through without getting help, if that makes sense. There are other things that people will struggle with that there's no... There's no shame or even if there is, they're like, I know I can't do this alone. With dieting, it is so commonplace that when we're the person eating super clean, quote unquote, Monday through Friday, and then having these loss of control, binge eating, shame, you know, closet eating types of episodes, we think, oh, there's something wrong with me. Nobody else is doing this, right? Yes. When in reality, it's so much more common than we think. And it's really hard to undo without some level of support like we were talking about in our last conversation. And what I see a lot is women who have been dieting their entire life, that the people around them have been conditioned to them always being on a diet, to them always eating something different. And so when I start working with them and I start pushing them to eat the same foods as their family, I actually encourage them to have that conversation and sit down with the people who are the most around you, who know you and really have that conversation of I'm starting to work with someone or I'm starting to work on myself if you're not doing it with support. And 
I want to get to a place where I have a good relationship with food and I'm working to find that balance so that I can eat with you guys and that I can have, like we were talking about before, feel normal around food. And so I'm going to be eating things that maybe in the past I didn't eat. And what I really need from you guys is no comments about the foods that I'm eating, the way that my body might be changing. Because any comment, whether it's good or bad, can be really triggering to someone who is healing their relationship with food. I think that is so impactful and so important as a step you take with clients because it's so true, right? Especially if our disordered eating journey has landed us in a place where food is really connected to our identity. Even a well-intentioned comment from a family member when we're challenging our food fears can cause us to like internalize it, spiral, take steps back. It's just, it's such a delicate process to come out of that, yeah, having the right support in place, but also the right boundaries and those kinds of conversations happening early on really does determine how comfortable you're going to be throughout this process and whether or not it's going to be quote unquote successful, right? Yeah. And especially because as my clients start like breaking free from diet culture, I'm sure that you hear this too, is the the realization of, wow, everyone talks about food and weight all the time. Like conversations, I never realized it before, always center around the way that people eat, the way that people look. And so it is very hard because you internalize that. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, my family has been getting a lot better because I've been doing this work. And so I start making comments about like, let's not let's not say that. But we got caught up in a five to 10 minute long conversation, literally looking at the way that different people eat. You eat really slowly. You eat really quickly. And I was like, why is this a productive conversation? And for someone who feels very insecure about their eating habits, and luckily I don't feel that way anymore, and I feel so trusting and confident for someone who doesn't feel that way, which is most women and a lot of men as well, even if the comments are not directed at you, you start to think if that person is judging that person, then that person must be judging me. And so I have to change the way that I eat, even if it doesn't feel right for me so that I don't get judged by other people. A hundred percent. I think because food and bodies and what kind of workouts do you do, which gym do you go to is such a common thread for people to talk about around us. I think a lot of our loved ones who are well-intentioned will say, but I wasn't saying it about you. I was saying it about me or I was Mm -hmm. saying it about my friend or whoever, somebody who wasn't there to hear it. And I actually, I recorded a podcast episode recently where I was talking about food and body comments and about how even when they're not directed at us, we will, if we're having trouble with food, internalize them, maybe create a new food rule out of them, maybe develop a fear of somebody saying that about us. And I remember I called my mom and I said, I am going to talk about this topic and I have a feeling that what I saw you do might come up. Are you okay with just some brief details? And she's Mm -hmm. like, of course. And in the same breath, I'm so, so sorry that I didn't, you know, that I did that to you. And I was like, you didn't do it to me. I was looking for the information and I found it in your body image experience, right? The things that my mom would say about herself, which she never wanted to project onto me. I was already ready to absorb them because I was already having doubts about food and body because of all the things, right? 
when you're so fragile, you're going to latch on to what other people are saying. And for someone who doesn't struggle with the relationship with food, a simple comment of like, oh, you're really going to go for a second plate really doesn't mean anything. But when you are like that vulnerable, that comment is taken as, oh, maybe I shouldn't have a second plate. Maybe I am pigging out. Even if I'm still hungry, I'm not going to have that second plate because maybe that's not normal and I shouldn't do that. Yeah. And it like cultivates this distrust with your body, right? It makes that rift bigger and bigger. And then we wonder how we get into our 20s, our 30s, our 40s. And I don't know how to listen to my body. Everybody online with the intuitive eating is saying, listen to your body. And I don't know what the hell it means, right? It's just we get into this spot where it is it's really tricky. So I know this isn't something we necessarily talked about pre-interview, but if you're willing to kind of dive into it, what are some things that helped you kind of reconnect to your body, build trust with your body again after everything you went through? Yeah, so I would say number one was definitely changing the things that I exposed myself to every single day. So definitely changing the accounts that I follow on Instagram, because if you're constantly exposing yourself to messaging about like food fear mongering about what you should or shouldn't be eating. I remember I was doing I was going on all these crazy diets, one of them being like diets that told you that you couldn't eat beans or you couldn't eat oats. And I remember eating and, and eat following that way of eating and thinking this doesn't make sense to me. Like it doesn't it literally didn't. And this goes back to like intuitive eating and intuition, like my gut, my intuition was saying like, this doesn't feel right for me. But I kept following these like functional doctors and all of these people who are telling me that's what you should be doing. And so following your gut and I talked to so many women who have done like, for example, Octavia. Octavia says you shouldn't be eating fruit. And so many women come to me after having done these diets and thinking like, I'm doing these things and it just it doesn't seem right to me. Like it, it, what I'm doing doesn't seem right to me. And if food makes you feel good, if you feel good eating a certain way, your body is going to be your best guide. But if you're constantly exposing yourself to messages telling you that what you're doing is wrong and you're focusing on external things, you're never going to be able to listen to what your body's telling you because it's like literally going to a really loud rock concert and trying to hear what your friend is telling you next to you when there is literally music blaring at you. You won't be able to do it. I have used almost that exact analogy before, okay. except I teach spin classes and I love to bump the music really loud. And so I have used the analogy before with my clients who take group fitness classes of like, you know how when you're in the middle of a fitness class, you can't hear a damn thing the other person next to you is saying, even though you know they're trying to get your attention. It's like that, right? You've got so much noise around food and body and what you should and shouldn't do and what the scariest ingredient of the damn month is or whatever, mm -hmm. that of course, you're not going to be able to get quiet and be like, what actually physically makes me feel good when I eat it and what doesn't? Because that is a really good place to start. And if you yeah. can't hear that, it does feel confusing, right? Yeah. And I would say the second thing is to allow yourself to actually be present with your food. For me, food, I used to have a love-hate relationship with it, which meant that if I was eating, I felt like I was doing something I shouldn't, especially if I was eating something that was quote unquote unhealthy or bad in my mind, 
I was thinking I was doing something I shouldn't. And so when you're doing something that you think is bad, you don't want to be present for it because you're doing something wrong. And if you're not present with the food, then how are you ever going to be able to, one, know if you like it or not? Because you're not focusing on the taste. You're focusing on internally, you shouldn't be doing this. And also, you're not able to focus on what is my body telling me about how it feels about this food. And if you're not able to do that, then you're going to end up checking yourself out. And then you're going to have the one piece. And then instead of listening to your body, you're listening to that voice that's telling you, you've done something bad. So have as much as you can now, and then just don't do it again. Don't do it again. And you're going to start again. And that is what leads to overeating. So allowing yourself to being present with your food and knowing that you are allowed to enjoy food, even if it's a cookie or a cake or something that is extremely high sugar, you're allowed to enjoy it. And the more you enjoy it, the less likely you are to overeat. Right. You're so much less likely to create that forbidden fruit mentality or that like last ditch effort of oh, I wasn't supposed to have this, but now I'm going to eat as much as I can because after this, it's over, like you had said, right? There's just, there's so many opportunities when you tune out from the food experience for it to go, and I don't want to say wrong because that's not really what I intend, but like for it to go awry in the sense that you come out of it feeling worse than when you went in, right? Yeah, for me personally, I remember when I was at like the peak of my disordered eating, I was just eating foods that were bland, like so freaking boring. That I would tune out because I just didn't want to experience the food I was eating. It was so mechanical and it was so disconnected and unenjoyable that I would tune out for that reason. And then in an hour, be like, why am I starving? Oh, because like, one, it wasn't enough calories. But two, I was not mentally satisfied at all because I wasn't no. there. Right. So that lack of presence can take you in so many different directions. But none of them are really positive. So. Yeah. And as you were saying before, like we kind of mentally check out because we think that we're doing something wrong. And if we mentally check out, then maybe we'll feel better. And then what happens is you end up overeating because of it or you end up feeling not satisfied. And that just it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because yep. then you confirm, OK, well, I can't trust myself around this food because as I just experienced, I overeat when I do eat this food. And so if I can't trust myself, then I should just cut it out completely. And then eventually you end up overeating. You have so much guilt from it. You check out, you overeat, and it starts again. It is such a vicious cycle. It's exhausting. Yeah. Okay. I'm exhausted just talking about it. I know. It's so funny because sometimes <laughs> I will come out of a full day of client sessions and be like, that was really good. Also, wow, I'm tired because it's yeah. an emotional roller coaster to do this to yourself all the time. So yeah, I, it's just... It's tough, but it's something that you absolutely can course correct, especially if you're listening to us talk and you're like, I feel all of these things and I don't like any of them, right? Some of us are still in a place where we're like, this is kind of working for me. Trying to maintain this weight has some drawbacks, but also I'm not ready to give it up. If that's you, it's okay. But if you're hearing our conversation and you're like, yeah, this is me and it sucks. There are so many options to start moving the needle, right? Yeah. So, so many. So I want to be mindful of your time, but I kind of want to end this conversation like we did the last one. If you could speak to someone who was in a similar position that, you know, the two of us have experienced with food before, where there's a lot of, you know, kind of a roller coaster of emotions. There's a lot of 
clean eating mixed with loss of control and you could only give them two pieces of advice, say, what would be the two most impactful things that they could make a change with now? I would say number one is get some kind of support or to reach out to someone, whether that is your husband, whether that is your best friend, someone that you can trust, whether if you can't get a coach, whatever it is, because it is a very isolating experience. And what happens is you get really caught up in your own world. And you only see things one way. And what you need to do is expose yourself to a different perspective. And so you want to make sure that you're not going to someone who's going to tell you to just keep dieting. You want to find someone who's going to help you really relax. Allow yourself to have more compassion towards yourself. Because what people get stuck in is this like perfectionism, all or nothing mentality. And someone to remind you, and I always need someone to do this for my business because I get very like, I want to do everything perfectly. And someone to remind you that being in the middle and to allowing yourself to have more flexibility is exactly what is going to get you out of this hole that you're stuck in. So I would say number one is having someone that you can talk to about this and bounce ideas and get a different perspective from because again if you're someone who your social media is diet 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 weight loss weight loss weight loss you're just being exposed to more you're confirming the thing that you already believe and so you're just being exposed to more of the same reality and honestly let's be real if you're listening to this that reality is not working for you so we need to create that new reality for you. And then the second thing that I would say is probably start being more present and aware when you eat. And so maybe give yourself a week. And I have a seven-day mindful eating challenge, which is literally like what I do, which is learning how to be present with your food. So slowing down, whether that means putting a timer on and telling yourself, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to give myself 15, 20 minutes to be present with just my meal. I'm not going to have any distractions. Put the phone away, put the screens away, put the book away, put the work away, me and my food. And experience everything that comes up for you. If you feel guilt, if you feel shame, if you feel excitement, if you feel relief, whatever it is. And if you want, write them down. Write down what you're thinking so that you can start working through all of those emotions. But instead of mentally checking yourself out, be present with what you're feeling, what your body is saying in response to those foods, what your emotions are, what that food tastes like. One thing that a lot of my clients realize when they do these exercises is these foods that they thought that they had no control over, that they thought was like their quote unquote weak food. They're like, after doing this, I realize I don't even like that food. I just lost control over it because I thought that I couldn't have it. And so when you actually give yourself permission to be present, you might notice that you can also give yourself permission to say no to foods that you thought that you really needed to cut out. Yeah. And I think that second tip, while it might sound so simple to somebody, oh, I'll be more mindful. There's so much depth within challenging yourself in that way. And I love how you mentioned even like there's different emotions that might come up during it that maybe you aren't expecting to come up or that you didn't know you were holding around mealtimes. And 
if you don't start to practice sitting with those meals and sitting with yourself as you eat and finding out what comes up, it can be really confusing to know how to start bettering your relationship with food, right? So opening yourself up to whatever that might be, which is scary, but also a really, really useful tool. Yeah. And also, I think this is really important because diet culture loves to infiltrate some guilt into eating and to make you think that guilt is normal. And so if you're noticing a lot of guilt coming up around certain foods, take note of that and realize that guilt is not something that we should normalize when it comes to eating. And if there's certain foods that bring you more guilt, write those foods down. And those are the foods to start working on. And of course, like that could be a whole other episode on how to start including more fear foods. But at least if you're aware of where you need to start, then you can look into the next steps of how do I make peace with those foods? Yeah. I mean, hitting on guilt too, when you mentioned that something that I always talk to my clients about and have them reflect on is one, guilt can be a helpful emotion in the sense that it's telling us something, right? Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's not that productive because what guilt around food normally is, is a reflection of how we've been told to feel, right? It's not actually a reflection of, is this food the right choice for me today? Does this food make me feel energized? Do I enjoy this food? Looking at whether or not we have guilt around the food doesn't tell us the answer to any of those other questions, right? It's just, did somebody tell me I shouldn't be eating this food? And if so, I'm probably going to feel guilty. So it's honestly like a pretty unproductive state to be in with food because it, it doesn't tell you a lot. It doesn't give you anywhere to go from there, right? And if anything, it's so unproductive in the way that notice the foods that you overeat. And then notice the emotions associated with it. And you're probably going to see a trend there. Yes. The ones that you're overeating tending to be the ones that bring up some kind of negative emotion. Exactly. It's just so interesting because I think we talked about this. Now I don't even remember if it was in our last (laughs) interview or this one, but that idea of food being so much more than just food, right? It's so much deeper, so much more complex than that, which can feel overwhelming to people when they're new to this. But it's also, I think, one of the coolest things about intuitive eating is like, it's not just food. It's connection. It's how you want to advance your health goals. It's all of these different things. It's not just a salad, right? No. Or it doesn't have to be if you want it to be a fuller experience. Than Yeah. And food is supposed to bring you joy. It really is. And I think that whether you're a foodie or not, everyone gets some kind of joy from eating. And if you're not getting joy from that, then what happens if you hold back, you hold back, you hold back until it explodes. And that's why people end up binging when you're eating super clean again, using that word from Monday to Friday or morning to night, you haven't gotten any satisfaction from your food. And so you're looking for that. And then you're going to go for the extremes. You're going to go for these like really high sugar things and you're going to eat in large quantities because you've been holding something back from yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll close it up here to be mindful of time. But I think that kind of push and pull can come from more of the emotional side like we've been talking about. But then I also see, I don't know if you see this, I see a lot of clients who are drastically under eating on those quote unquote clean days because they think that's the right calorie target when in reality it's a, I don't want to say pitiful, but it's it's so far from what their body needs that the physical rebound is inevitable at some point, right? So there's that rebound in a lot of different facets of our relationship with food. And the more mindful you can get, the more you can pull 
the negative emotions out of it or work on them, the more it is going to kind of even out. It's more smooth sailing in the long term. Yeah, Takes exactly. a little bit to figure out, but it's so much more calm once you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us where people can find you and how they can work with you right now. Yeah, absolutely. So they can find me. I'm more on Instagram now. So uh, they can find me on Instagram at sabrina.magnon.health. Uh, or they can go to my website, sabrinamagnon.com, and there's all the information there on my Food Freedom Academy. If they want to work with me, they can book a free call with me as well. And yeah, so that's where they can connect with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making the time. I can't wait for our listeners <laughs> to get to hear this and just hear somebody else's perspective on this whole crazy environment that we're all in with food, because it takes repetition with this stuff, right, to really let it sink in and realize my my life, my quality of life, my relationship with food and body can be so much better than this. So yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me. Oh, yes. Same to you. If you loved today's conversation with Sabrina, be sure to check out our show notes where we share all of the different ways that you can connect with her online. And our goal with these interview style episodes is to share them about once a month. So if you have any suggestions for future guests, please hop on over to our Instagram and DM us. And as always, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I will see you next week.